Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Adam Wade. I would just take off all my clothes and I'd, I'd hang them up on the door and knock and I'd go to the bathroom and that was me, like I just felt good. I felt like Adam can be Adam. Adam can be Adam. That and more, but before that, oh my fucking Christ. Guys, I am on the third day of a three shows in three days tour. And I'm trying to squeeze in these hosting segments for this week's episode in between plane ride to plane ride to plane ride to... I mean, it is just exhausting sometimes doing these tours. We did an amazing show in Portland and an amazing show in Seattle. And tonight is Vancouver. But in the meantime, I'm trying to get this fucking episode done as well. So listen... All of this wonderful work, it takes a lot of people to make all of these wonderful stories come together. Become a patron of ours. Help us out. Become a part of this community. We're putting up new bonus content every week, new stories that you've never heard on the podcast before, behind the scenes, little tidbits, you know, photographs, videos, some of the lecture content that I give in my courses to people on how to tell stories. That's all bonus content content for people who become patrons of ours at patreon.com slash risk. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash risk. Become a member. It can be for as little as a dollar a month or five dollars, ten dollars, twenty-five, somewhere like that. You make the choice. And the more that is, you know, there's plenty of other options of prizes and perks that are to be found there. But the best part is you can become a part of this community that's staying in touch and helping us keep this running. Also, I think you already know, stamps.com can save you time and money for growing your business. You can mail any letter, any package using just your computer and printer. You can create your stamps.com account in minutes online with no equipment to lease, no commitments. It's convenient, easy, reliable. We use stamps.com at risk and the story studio and we love it because they bring all the services of the U.S. Postal Service to your fingertips. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package 
package, any class of mail with your own computer and printer. They send you a digital scale that automatically calculates the exact postage. They'll even help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs, and there's no need to lease an expensive postage meter. Right now, you can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and that digital scale with no long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in RISK. That's Stamps.com, enter RISK. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. Who is this? This is Sonny Rollins, and um, uh, who, who is this? Oh, for fuck's sake, it's Dizzy Gillespie. It's Sonny Rollins and Dizzy Gillespie. Oh, that's the most embarrassing thing I've ever said. Listen, folks, I am just waking up. I'm having my morning coffee. I'm in my hotel room. Here's how these tours work. We can't afford to send me on tour with anyone to help me out. And we can't afford for me to be in one city for more than one night in a hotel. So I have to fly into town. I have to curate the show, help the storytellers. I have to host the show. I have to oversee the recording of the show. And the shows are always very emotionally draining. And then everyone wants to hang out afterwards. And then in the morning, I have to catch a plane to the next city and do that, you know, three nights in a row. And at the end of it, I am just obliterated. And and yet... I have to wake up in the morning and do some hosting of an episode before I get on another plane. But at least no one's having sex at the room next door here at the Holiday Inn, which that happened to me once when I was trying to host a show. We are calling this week's episode Fish Out of Water. These are three stories people felt uh, that they just couldn't quite feel comfortable in the situation that they were stuck in. In a little bit, we're going to hear from one of our very favorites, Melanie Hamlet. Uh, The last time Melanie was on the show, holy camoles, was that an unforgettable story? That one was called Unbreakable. Listen, Melanie now has a podcast of her own called Smashing Stories. She shares stories with folks and then discusses them with them. You gotta go check out Smashing Stories by Melanie Hamlet. And she also posts a lot about the stories that she's sharing on other podcasts at MelanieHamlet.com. You've got to check that out because some of that extra material is just not to miss. But before we hear from Melanie, we're going to hear from another favorite of ours, another favorites of everybody who loves storytelling, 
Adam Wade. Adam does so much. He teaches storytelling at The Magnet in New York. He's been on Girls and Inside Amy Schumer. He has an album called The Human Comedy. You can find him at adamwade.com. Here he is at the Risk Live show at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Adam Wade with a story we call A Clean, Well-Lighted Place. I am from New Hampshire, and growing up, I had a problem, uh, and I was going to the bathroom uh, number two in a bathroom that wasn't at our house. Uh, it was a problem I, I never got over. Uh, <laughs> went to college like an hour and a half away at Keene State College uh, in Keene, New Hampshire, and uh, the first week was really tough, just socially trying to fit in, trying to meet people. But also they had, uh, like, you know, on my dorm floor, like, this communal bathroom. And uh, I was, like, afraid uh, to go number two. Uh, and after a week, I finally, I'm like, I got to do it, I got to do it, or I'm going <laughs> to have serious problems here. And it was, like, a Friday night, and I went in, and I, and I shut the door, and I, I go, and, you know, the long line of uh, bathroom stalls. And uh, a bunch of kids ran in, and they had just come from a fraternity party, and they were all drunk, and they were just shouting and yelling. And then they started to just bang on all the doors of the bathrooms. And then when they got to mine, it was like I had the hugest panic attack I've ever had in my life. And I've had many. <laughs> but I was like, oh, this is like too much. And, um, and that was just bad, 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 bad. I had, to go, I had to get counseling. That's how bad it was. <laughs> or how sad I am. Whatever. <laughs> Draw your own conclusion. So I went nine days after that without going, and I'm eating and, and stuff, and, and it's just, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I really don't know what I'm going to do, and I'm, I'm taking geology at the Science Center. It's like the oldest building on the Keene campus, and they were trying to revitalize, but that one they wanted to keep uh, as bad as it was. Uh, so I'm on the third floor, and I'm just looking around. I, I, it was just like fate, okay? It was fate that I, I saw it looked like a closet, and, and I opened it up, and I realized it was a handicapped bathroom. And it was just one little bathroom in there and, uh, and the door, and there was a lock, and, and I found it. I found my bathroom. <laughs> and, and, uh, it, was, it was a big day. I, like, I mean, it solved a lot of problems for me. And uh, it was like across campus from my dorm. It was about a mile and a quarter walk. Um, <laughs> It was open uh, six in the morning till midnight. So, like, you know, if it was like 11 o'clock at night and I had to go, I would just wait until six in the morning and then I'd walk across the campus and go. Um, that's how much I, I had to do it. And, uh, but it was always there. And I don't want to say like I had a relationship with the bathroom, but I kind of did. I, it was like a safe zone. And in college, it's tough. Like, I'm a mama's boy. I miss my mommy. I mean, I'm not going to lie. And, and like, there was a lot of pressures and, and, and trying to fit in. It's a clean slate, but you're still not, it feels still like high school and you're a square peg in a round hole. But when I went into that bathroom, in my heart, like, I, I felt good. I, I just felt secure and there was a lock and people would knock. No, I'm here. No, uh-uh. Not getting in. You know, and... Uh, Felt like, like I had, in those moments, I had power. 
you know, in college, a lot of people go through sexual liberation and stuff, and I, I really didn't do that much in college, uh, but I did have my own type of liberation. Um, I had body issues. I never I had, I had like man boobs and a, and, a, and a little gut, you know, a, a good-sized gut. So like to be naked was not something I, I liked. To, you know, I wasn't parading around uh, naked around. <laughs> go figure. Um, but... In this room, when I would go to the bathroom, I would just take off all my clothes and I'd, I'd hang them up on the door and the hook, and I'd go to the bathroom. And that was me, like, it just felt good. I felt like, Adam can be Adam. Adam can be Adam. And then when everything was done, I'd wash my hands, I'd put my clothes back on, and then I was back into the harsh reality of college. So it was good, it was good. I fell in love. Uh, it was not reciprocated, but I, I fell in love. Uh, there was a girl, Chrissy White, and she was a beautiful girl. She, like in Keene, New Hampshire, she just stuck out. She was like a model. She just didn't look like everybody else. And I was just like, oh, wow. And, um, she worked uh, at the gym, at the health center at the gym. And she worked Monday and Wednesdays. I found out. I got my sources. <laughs> she worked at the gym Monday and Wednesdays from 6 in the morning till uh, 8 a.m. 6 to 8 and. uh I like sleep. I'm a sleepy guy. I like to sleep in. Whenever I pick my classes, all four years, never had a class earlier than three o'clock. That's why. No, why? I mean, when you can decide, when you can decide, you're going to do it right. You're going to sleep till 11 or 12. But for love, sometimes that changes things. So uh, I would get up at 5.45 and I put on my sweatpants and I'd go to the gym and there were only like a couple of like teachers there and, and she was working... Uh, it probably didn't mean much to her, but to give her my card and then she'd swipe it and give it back and smile, it was like my, each time it was like my head, like Alka-Seltzer, like that's how my head, it was like, and then I would go on the treadmill for an hour at 2.8, you know, I didn't want to sweat, you know, so i do that. And then after about an hour, I'd be like, oh, and, and then I'd leave, and she'd always be busy talking to some jock by the time I, I left, and I, so I, I'd say, and then I, I couldn't even say bye. And then I'd head home, and then I'd sleep for four hours. So, um, Sorry, uh, thank you. <laughs> I wish you were at my college. You would have been good. You would have been good friends, sir. I would add the bathroom in you. So, like, the school was really trying to revamp. They were trying to broaden their image. So for the first, like, two and a half years I was there, they were building the student center. It was a $10 million building. They kept saying it, and uh, they were all excited. And in the student newspaper, they put how, like, the floor plan, what it was going to look like. And I remember being in the library one day, and I'm looking through it, and I could see that they had this new bathroom on the first floor, and it was a handicapped bathroom, and it was this huge bathroom. They were gonna have like the stereo from their college radio station that I liked in there. They were gonna have like a button you press and it would get warmer. I mean, it, had, I mean, it was like state of the art, and uh, it was like right by the ATM machine, so like when you're done, you can go get your money and take off. I mean, it was, it was a beautiful thing. There was a lot of conveniences. It was a lot closer uh, to my dorm. So, so there was excitement, there was excitement. So uh, the day it opened, it was, it was like a winter time, and uh, the dining hall had uh, Taco Day. I mean, it's like the moon, the stars, everything aligned. It was like, you know, 
So I got tired. I can't do a lot of spicy stuff, but I was like, what the hell? Take a little extra dab of this and a little extra dab of that with your hamburg and and, and, and top it off with the Dr. Pepper. I like Dr. Pepper. Uh, If you have wine, if you're at a fine restaurant in New York City, you get nice wine. You want a nice uh, fish and wine combo. For me, um, Dr. Pepper and those tacos, it it was a beautiful for your palate and it would go nice and then you'd have to go to the bathroom. So it was all coming... So good, so nice, so nice. <laughs> I go to the campus store, they get newspapers, uh, day-old newspapers are free. I grab a stack of newspapers, I'm just really excited. And um, I go to open the door, and I open it up, and it is like Michelangelo designed this bathroom. It is like the 16th chat. it is the most beautiful bathroom I've ever seen. The lights, like mood lighting in the bathroom and the heat, that little thing, all of a sudden, like you, when you feel that warmth come, it's like, this is amazing. I shut the door, I click the bolt, I lay out the papers, and I'm like, should I? I don't know. I mean, how do we know this bathroom? I don't know if I'm gonna get naked. I don't know. Like, it might be too much. Maybe I'll just go with my clothes on and try it, and we'll see. Maybe we'll work, maybe next time the shirt off, and then maybe the pants off. But I was like, nah, you gotta do it, you gotta do it. So I took all the clothes off, I hooked them onto the door, and I sat down, and awesome, bingo, bing, 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 yes, nice. Um, Flipping the papers, I'm gonna be here a while, everybody, I'm gonna be here a while, this is good. Um, And then the stereo, playing songs, nothing that really satisfied me. And then I hear R.E.M.'s fall on me. Very good song. That's another thing. I don't like to sing the voice. This voice trying to sing, not so good. But when you're alone and you got that playing over you and it's one of your favorite songs, so I just start kind of going back and forth and I'm like, oh, try this guy. Don't fall on me. Don't fall. And then uh, there's a click at the door and I feel very safe. There's a deadbolt at the door. I know it. I know it. And... And then all of a sudden, it starts opening, and there's a light in the crack, and then it opens wide open. And I'm naked, 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 and I'm just confused. And when I'm confused, I don't think to hide, so I'm just like, like, wah! It's uh, Captain Caveman. His name was Greg, but they called him Captain Caveman. He was like 26 years old. He was the guy known around campus would buy alcohol for the underage kids. So he was there. I knew him very well. And he goes, uh, Wade. And I'm like, Cavey, shut the door. Shut the door. And he wouldn't shut. Like he was just, I'm like, shut it. And as he won't shut the door, he's just shocked. He's not trying to be a jerk. He's just, he's seeing me naked. And and with the newspaper, he's trying to... This is a shock to him. He wasn't expecting that. He was probably expecting what I was expecting, but he got the bonus, you know. So in the corner of my eye, I glare over and I see at the ATM machine is Chrissy with her three sorority sisters. And they're looking right at me. And they see it all. Not the way I wanted to see it the first time they did. Um, if there were to ever be a, a time. Um, and they just, they're shocked, and then they start laughing. And then Captain shuts the door, and I, I wipe, and then I wash my hands and flush the toilet. I'm a good person, you know. And then, uh, and then I start putting my clothes on, but I'm shaking, and I'm shaking, I'm shaking. And, and he's asking me if I'm okay. He's, what a good guy. He's standing outside, you know. And um, finally open the door. And I know, I know I deadbolted the door. I know it, I know it. And I open the door and I see 
This is a $10 million building, folks. They forgot to put the bolt in the deadbolt. There's no deadbolt in the bolt. Not nice, not nice. Like, Key, New Hampshire, do you have building inspectors or what? No, it's bullshit. It's Bush League. So after that, I'll be honest with you, I never went back to that bathroom. I mean, you know, no way, no way. Not gonna take chances, not gonna take chances. I would see uh, Chrissy and her sorority sisters often. I never went back to the gym, but I would see them at parties or I'd see them on campus. And it was always followed by a little giggle and uh, a nickname. I'm not a nickname guy, I don't have a lot of nicknames. But they called me something, they called me, and it wasn't very creative, so don't. Call me uh, Doody Doodoo. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, come up with something good, you know. But Doody Doodoo, there he is, Doody Doodoo. There's a Doody and then the Doodoo. So, um, so like two days later, I haven't, I haven't gone to the bathroom and I'm st- I, I still don't know what to do a- after that. I find myself wandering and it's like around 10.30 at night and uh, I find myself... Um, on the third floor of uh, the science center. I just happened to walk by my old bathroom. And I did have to go, and I was there. So I opened the door, and then uh, I shut it, and I locked it, and I checked. Reliable bathroom. The lock was there. The lock was there, and I turned on the light, and uh, I felt bad, you know said, I go, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I cheated on you, you know. I, I thought I deserved that. It was a nice bathroom, you know, but, but I, I know, you know, you're, you're the one, you know. I didn't have a lot of friends. That's why I was talking to her like that. Or him, whatever. And I just said, I said, um, you, you gonna take me back or what? And like I just stood there, and, and I'm not like an overly religious person, but I just stood there, and like I waited for something, and I felt like a warmness. I felt like like the bathroom was like giving me a hug. We were back. We were back. We were back. I went to school there another year and a half. Never went to another bathroom. I stayed. They knocked down that building four years ago. I would have been your friend, man. Thanks. Still getting over. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you. Why are you riding on the toilet, Isabel? You love the toilet. It's a toilet, Isabel, honey. Mother. It's not a live city. Where's it going? Is it stuck? Yes. I'm going to visit. Isabel, honey, it's a toilet. I know. Isabel, that's kind of gross. I love it. Signal toilet. Signal toilet. Signal toilet. Sitting on the toilet. Sitting on the toilet. Sitting on the toilet. Sitting on the toilet.
I showed up in Montana, uh, right around Glacier National Park for a wedding uh, back in 2009. I'd driven all the way from New York City. It was the wedding of one of my good friends from college. I'd gone to University of Montana and all of us were meeting up for this big reunion like 11 years later. And as soon as I walk into this really nice lodge with, you know, dead animals stapled to the wall everywhere, <laughs> mountain lions and all these stuffed animals, I see my friend Paul, who is the groom. Now, Paul is like, you know, he looks like Paul Bunyan, actually. He's got a beard. He looks like he'd be holding an axe. But he's actually just like a football-loving, outdoorsy, uh, beer-drinking feminist from Chicago. (laughs) And like one of the nicest people I know. Paul's also the male version of me. Unlike all of our friends who had all grown up in suburbs just like us, Paul had lived a similar life as me. He was, you know, an outdoor guide. You know, I lived in my truck for years. Paul lived in his truck for years. He, you know, we'd meet up every, you know, once a year and eat baked beans on the tailgate of his truck and then sleep next to each other like siblings because, you know, we always had a very platonic uh, relationship. But, you know, as the years went by, all of our friends who had been outdoorsy, they all started going back to their cities and making a shit ton of money. And Paul was like the only person like me who held out and was a minimalist and just didn't want what everyone else wanted. And yet here I am now at his fucking wedding because he's doing what everybody does, which is get married. And then two years from now, he's going to pop out a baby and have a stable income and all that other shit. So I see Paul and I'm like conflicted because I'm really happy for him. But I'm also like, fuck, man, I'm like a loner. I'm the only person who's doing this thing. And, you know, the first thing Paul says to me is, hey, Mo, what's up? He gives me a big hug and he's like, where's Dora? I'm like, ah, you know, she's kind of been acting up. You know, I left her in the car. Uh, and he's like, okay, well, you know, I hope I get to meet her. You know, and this is literally the first thing he had. Like, I haven't seen Paul in years since I moved to New York City to pursue comedy. I'm still living like a fucking hobo, but I'm at least doing it in a city now. You know, I had changed careers. I was kind of all over the place, but I was still doing this nomadic thing. But we hadn't talked. The first thing he asked about is goddamn Dora. So uh, I blow it off. I'm like, whatever. And so we start talking about other stuff. And it's really good to see him. And then a woman comes up and grabs his hand. And this must be Wendy. You know, the girl that I'd seen on Facebook who he had proposed to her. He'd driven across the country to win her over and get her. Like, he was crazy about her. And I love her. She's, you know, got big guns and is like a tough woman who doesn't wear makeup. But she also, like, gives me a hug and it feels really warm and nice next to her bosom. You know, like, she's super and she's not jealous. A lot of men's girlfriends get jealous when they have really close female friends. So I love her already. And immediately... (laughs) Wendy says, so where's Dora? You know, uh, you know, and I'm like, uh, she's in the car. And, you know, and then she talks about, I can't wait to see you dancing. Paul told me about Drew's wedding when you were like a crazy dancer, Melanie, and like slapping grandmas on the ass and like going around the dance floor like a shark eating people, you know, and, and uh, 
And I'm like, yeah, 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 you know. And she's like, so, uh, you know, I wish you told us we'd known about Dora earlier. You could have put her as a plus one, <laughs> wink, wink. And I'm just like, oh, my God, fuck these people. And I'm left alone in a room with a bunch of dead animals thinking, like, fuck Dora. That bitch is not coming as my plus one. So I should kind of explain who Dora is now. She's not a dog. She's not a person. She's a Dora the Explorer pinata <laughs> um, that I've been carrying around with me for months. Basically, but, you know, earlier that spring, I'd just gotten really sick of being in New York City. I needed to go back to my life of living in my car and adventuring. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll drive all over the country. I'll save up money. I will blog about weird, crazy places. I'll sleep in my truck all summer. It'll be so much fun. Back to the roots, you know. I even had like a going away party and we busted open a door of the Explorer Pinata at the party and on my way out the door I was like, huh, and I just brought her along and I thought it'd be funny. But what happened is that this stupid thing I brought along ended up actually becoming an important person in my life. <laughs> because I realized right away as soon as I moved back into my truck that living in your truck kind of sucks. <laughs> it's not what I remembered. When I, when I lived in my truck, I was a whitewater raft guide, a ski instructor, an outward bound instructor. I mean, I was living the life with a bunch of other nomadic outdoorsy people in a community. That's not what most of America is. And so I drove from New York City across the country and I'm stopping along the way in like Ohio and Iowa and fucking Kansas where there's just corn and Best Buys and that's it. So instead of sleeping in the woods or among my climber friends, I'm sleeping in fucking Walmart parking lots. And instead of talking to people my age who get me, I'm, I'm just like seeing families in RVs parked next to me with their golden retrievers. Um... And it's, I'm miserable. I've been miserable for uh, weeks. I really didn't have any human contact. I mean, I remember seeing a Piggly Wiggly, I think, in Indiana, and I was like, <gasps> and I pulled in, and I was like, oh, my God, Piggly Wiggly, and I went inside and bought, like, batteries or some shit just so I could have, like, a conversation with the cashier and just so someone would touch my hand when they hand me change because the thing is, is that when you're alone, on the road by yourself for weeks and weeks on end. No one knows where you are, what you're doing. No one gives a fuck how your day is. I could literally die and no one would know or care. One day I went back into my truck and I saw Dora sitting there and I was like, where to now, ho-bag? And I just like talked to her because it was like funny. But you know, 14,000 miles across country, you stop just talking as a joke. You actually just need to hear your voice. So Dora became my fucking Wilson in this weird way. And I remember 4th of July being in Indiana in the parking lot and just being really sad because holidays are sad when you're alone. And I just had no one to talk to. And I, I basically did fireworks in the parking lot with Dora. <laughs> and I took a bunch of pictures. I thought it was funny. And I posted it to my blog. And I ended up getting like all this response from that one blog post from people who were like, that's so funny. Dora's so funny. So she kind of became my shtick. I ended up creating a Facebook page for her. She actually had like almost as many friends as I did. Um, <laughs> she had this whole like fan club going on. So I just kind of went with it. And now Dora was like in every fucking scene that I did. And also, you know, you kind of want to hear your, your voice. If you're alone, you don't talk to anyone. So I started like talking to her. I'd be like, where should we go, Dora? Left or right? And then I'd even give her a voice like, I don't care, bitch. Go wherever you want. Like, I mean, like, I'm a crazy person in this car. And uh, so everybody thinks that Dora's this like thing. But to me, she's like my best friend. But it's not a joke. She kind of is my best friend. 
So at this wedding, I kind of was hoping to get a break from being like Dora's, like me and Dora, ha ha ha. And everybody wants her to hang out. <laughs> so I'm left in this lobby by myself, feeling sorry for myself. And then in walk two of my college friends, Odie and Drew, and their wives. And, you know, two of them are pregnant, and they all check in, and they're hey, hey, hey. And uh, Drew and his wife come up to me, and his wife was like, you know, I'm sorry, uh, we tried to get in touch with you, but we couldn't, and Drew was all worried, and I was like, whatever, you know, Melanie's like, she's always off doing her own thing, you know, <laughs> it's fine, and you're fine, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine, and I remember thinking right there, like, is that how I'm known? Is the girl who's always off doing, like, her own thing? Because I don't know if I really want to be that girl anymore, I at least want to get invited to shit and thought of, you know? Anyway, um, you know, we all give hugs and whatever, and then the couples go upstairs to their rooms because that's what couples do. This isn't like Drew's wedding, you know, seven years ago in fucking Florida where we all rented a house and slept on the floor and partied all the time. These people are grown up. They have their own rooms. They spend time together, like, just hanging out. And it's not like a college dorm where I could just go and hang out with them. I'm got nothing to do and nowhere to go because I don't have a room. Drew had offered to let me sleep on his couch, but I can't go hang out in their room right now. So, uh, <laughs> you know, my sister had warned me about this. This is the first time it hit me like, oh, this wedding may not be fun. And my sister had told me, you know, in your 20s, weddings are fun. But in your late 20s and once you're in your 30s, weddings are hard. They're not fun anymore, not as a woman, especially not as a single woman. And I just remember thinking, well, fuck that. I don't even want to get married, you know. But the truth is, is that, you know, I'm confident and happy with my life 365 days out of the year. But this one day, something about weddings, women, no matter how they are in their life or how fulfilled they are, they can't help if they're single or you're not married yet to think, what the fuck is wrong with me? Why am I not doing the thing that everyone tells me I should have done by now? But I'm convinced this is not my reality, although I can see it, it is. I fucking hate myself right now, and, I, and, you know, and it's because I'm at a wedding. You know, it's funny. You can go your whole life trying to be different and unique and like an outlier. And yet, when you're at your most vulnerable... <laughs> Or just as you get older, maybe, you start to realize, like, I don't want to be different. I don't want to be a loner. I want to belong to people. Independence is what your 20s is about, but your 30s is about community. And I'm, like, 34 in this point in time. So anyway, um, <laughs> we go to the wedding. I sit next to Drew and Odie. And Paul's up there, and Wendy walks in. And God, that look on his face. God, I've never seen him so happy. And, you know, she walks down the aisle and, you know, they have this beautiful song playing and they say their vows and, and Paul even cries during his vows, which really moves me. And I look around and all the women around me are crying. And Drew is like, you know, moving the hair out of his wife's face, you know, in this really gentle touch. And Odie's, you know, rubbing his wife's thigh. And it's just like this really, you know, uh, sweet gestures. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, like, first of all, I don't think I've ever been in a situation where I had a man next to me, like, comforting me. Because I never cried in public. That's just not what I do. I'm more like a fucking man. I don't think I'm allowed to cry. And I also realized, like, maybe they're crying about something. See, I'm such a cynic. I mean, I, I had a divorced dad who, like, cheated on my mom, right? Like, I assume that 
women crying at weddings, it's because they're either crying because they're like, think that they have to be married to be happy. So they've bought into the whole fucking Cinderella shit. Or they're like crying because like their friends are getting married and they like don't agree with the fucking husband they chose. Or they're crying for their own freedom that they lost when they themselves got married. It never occurred to me that they're all crying about some unique shared experience that they all know about that I don't because I've never been in love. And I remember when Wendy's dad walked her down the aisle, I remember thinking, like, if I ever got married, I'd never let that fucker walk me down the aisle because I hated my dad. Like, I loved him, but I was so mad at him for just not being there for me as a kid, or that's what I told myself at the time. So anyway, (laughs) at the end of the wedding, we all have the reception, and they have... You know, I'm the single person who like ruins the whole fucking wedding chart, right? You got you know eight people and six of them are couples, and you got one extra, so there's an empty chair. Like, and they're serving like steak, and I'm a vegetarian, and they're serving cake, and I can't eat sugar because these weird like parasite shit I'm dealing with, <laughs> you know. And they're serving free booze, but they don't have uh, club soda. And I'm like, God damn it! Is there anything like that I can fucking you know be a part of here? And I'm almost on the verge of tears because I'm like, fuck this place, you know? And I see Paul on my way back to the reception. He's like, hey, I thought you are going to be dancing, you know, because I'm supposed to be doing the shark thing or whatever. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll be out there later on. And I decided you had to go get the bathroom. And he's like, are you okay? Like, are you really okay? And I was like, oh, my God. The groom should never be asking anyone at his wedding if they're okay. And if you're there, you're a dick. Uh, they're asking that and I'm like no I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine I'm like oh I love that song I'm gonna go out to that song so I run over to the dance floor and as soon as I get there they stop the dancey song the fun dancey fast song and they start playing stand by me and I'm like are you fucking kidding me a slow song they're like grab that special someone and I see Wendy dancing with her dad and that makes me really sad because I'm like yep my dad doesn't dance and if I ever got married I wouldn't want him doing the first dance with me but the thing is, I had actually heard that Wendy had actually had a lot of issues with her dad. But you would never know that right now. She's letting him be the star of this show. And it occurred to me that maybe I'm doing something wrong here. Because uh, she seems happy. And she's got a partner. And she's doesn't seem like a pissed off little girl <laughs> like I am. And right then, they sing, I won't cry, I won't cry, and I'm just like, fuck you. Like, I basically am like, like, I was afraid I was going to start crying, so I ran to my truck. In my truck, I look over, and I start just like, actually, like, punch the fucking steering wheel, because I'm so mad. And I look over, and I see Dora with that fucking smile. I don't know if you've ever seen Dora. Like, she's always got that, like, like sideways smile. Like, the smirk almost. Like, ha! Ah. Now, Dora actually are a lot of light, dude. We're both adventurous women who go everywhere by ourselves. I carry everything in my truck. She carries in a backpack. But we also both fucking fake being in a good mood all the time. She's always got that fucking smile on. And I just felt like she was almost mocking me. Or I just, I saw myself in her. And I got so fucking mad. And I punched her right in the face. <laughs> and then, if that wasn't enough, I picked her up and I threw her on the da- on the uh, the floorboard of my truck. And of course, I feel like a crazy person now because I'm like a fucking terrible mother and a child abuser or whatever. Because this chick had been like my best friend, and I'm fucking beating her up. But the thing is, is that she is me. I am her. Behind all anger is always fear. So I'm not really angry. I'm terrified. Because the only person at this goddamn wedding who knows that I'm upset is this damn doll. 
And I also realized as I'm sitting there, this is the only person other than maybe my mom and sister who's ever seen me cry, I think. That made me really fucking sad in that moment that a doll is the only person I'll open up to. Because I'm this big, tough mountain woman who's so funny. <laughs> All this shit I hide behind. And the only person who sees the real me is a, something I bought at Walmart for $10. And I started to think, you know, like that question that all single women think at weddings. What the fuck is wrong with me? Because here's the thing. The whole time I've been telling myself that I'm choosing to be single. I don't need a man, blah, blah, blah. Like... You know, and I was, I was a strong outdoor woman. I had fucking huge truck on 31 inch tires. I lived in my car. I don't need a man to support me. I don't need a man for anything. And yet at the same time, maybe that's not true. Maybe the reason why I'm single at the age of 34 and haven't really ever been in love or dated anyone is because nobody fucking wants me. I hear everyone having a party outside. I realize I can't hide in this car forever. And I realize I've just abused a child that's made out of paper. And, you know, I hear Drew walk by and I'm like, get the fuck out of the car, Melanie. Just go talk to somebody. Be real with someone for once. Stop being a fucking comedian and an entertainer. So I run after Drew and I was like, Drew, 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 Drew. And he's like, whoa, what's up? Are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not okay. I just hit Dora. I hate Dora. I hate weddings. This is hard. And I've just been crying in my truck and I just need somebody to see me cry. I'm crying. Okay. And he's like, it's okay. And he like gave me this big hug and he patted my back and he's like, dude, weddings are hard. And I was like, what? (laughs) But your marriage doesn't look like it's hard for you. And he's like, uh, we're not doing so well, actually. So this wedding is actually very hard for us. They actually ended up getting divorced like two years later. So yeah, that wedding was not easy for them. And then he was like, and by the way, I don't know what your deal is with Dora, but like, what's that about? And I'm like, well, (laughs) no one here even wants to see me. They keep asking me about the goddamn doll. He's like, dude, we don't give a fuck about your doll. The only reason why we can care about that weird fucking pinata is because it's yours. And because you care about it and you gave personality to it. And it's funny because it's you. It's, It's you. We're doing it for you. Fuck Dora. She's weird. And I realized that I've actually been doing that for a long time with my friends who had, like, babies. I don't like people's babies. They can't talk to me. Like, I don't know them. They're just aliens. But I love them because they're my friends. They're a creation of my friends. My friends are crazy about their babies. So, I'm, uh, of course, I'm going to be crazy about something that they created. So, I'm like, oh, that's what the, <laughs> that's what the, that's why they all love Dora. <laughs> so, anyway, I went back out to the dance floor that night. And I... I danced. I didn't do the shark thing. I didn't try to entertain everybody. I just had a good time. Because you don't have to be the center of the tension all the time. You don't have to, even if you're a comedian, you don't have to entertain people all the time. You can just have an okay time. I wasn't crying anymore, but it wasn't the best night ever. And that's okay. Many, many years later, Actually, this last October, um, I went to a wedding out in... Now, again, I have a new rule that I don't go to weddings unless they're really important because they're just too hard. I'm upset at every one of them. I'm like on the verge of tears or crying in my car somewhere at some point in time because that like, what's wrong with me thing comes up at every fucking wedding. But then this last year, I went to one out in Vermont. And at this point in time, I... 
a lot had changed. You know, I was about to turn 39. I actually live in a house. I actually had bought a, a couch and TV and, <laughs> you know, I, I like a little bit of stability. I travel all the time, but I have a home and, and I'd actually been in love and I had really realized that I really actually like companionship. As the bride is coming down the aisle, dad's walking her down the aisle, and unlike the first time, this time my attitude's different. Now I'm sad because my dad has Alzheimer's now, and I had since repaired my relationship with him, came to realize this all, a lot of it's in my head. He was a really great father despite his shortcomings, and I really love the man, and I'm close to him. And now, if I ever get married, he can't ever walk me down the aisle. He's in a fucking memory care center. And it made me sad, like really sad. And I ended up busting out in tears and ended up in my fucking car (laughs) crying again. But I didn't have a doll to punch and I didn't need one because I had close friends that I rely on now. And I called like a bunch of them and got their voicemails until I finally got a good friend and I was like, I don't want to be here, man. I don't think this is good. I'm not in a good place to be at this wedding. I just want to go. I don't want the bride to see me crying. It's going to upset her, you know, the same way. Like, I don't want her asking about me the way Paul had. And I said, it just seems selfish to stay. And my friend was like, you can leave. It's okay. You don't have to be there. I get you. Nobody would want to be in that situation. Just take care of yourself. Go. And I drove like five hours back to this town in New York that I used to spend some time in where I had friends and I hung out with them and I had a really lovely night. I don't have to go to weddings. I don't have to stay at weddings. I don't have to do anything I don't want to. And even when it comes to marriage, like, I, I don't know if that's for me. Maybe it is. I don't know what's best for me and I don't know what's going to make me happy. I do know a lot of people in miserable marriages. So if that's the end game here, I'd actually rather be single. But I'm going to be okay no matter what. If I do or if I don't. Um, The important thing is is that now, (laughs) at the age of 39, (laughs) I don't hide behind anyone. I don't hide behind being the tough girl with 31-inch tires. I don't hide behind a fucking paper mache doll. And I don't hide behind comedy. I have finally created a sense of community, the kind that every human craves. And that's all I need. And relationship or not, I'm going to be okay.
This is Risk. This is Electric Owls behind me now. And we just heard from Melanie Hamlet. Like I said, you got to check out Melanie's new podcast, Smashing Stories. But you also have to go to MelanieHamlet.com. That's Hamlet with two T's at the end. She uploaded dozens of photos of herself traveling around the world with this little Dora pinata. And I swear to you, some of these pictures are just amazing. It's quite a collection. Just before that, we heard a little interstitial from our episode editor, Jeff Barr. And now I want to tell you about Thumbtack. Today's episode is brought to you by Thumbtack. Thumbtack makes it easy to find and hire skilled local professionals for anything on your list from home improvement projects to event planning to personal wellness. Thumbtack connects you with professionals offering over 1,100 different services nationwide. You just tell Thumbtack a little bit about your project. Then within 24 hours, you'll have up to five estimates from local pros that match your criteria. Check out their prices, their reviews, chat with them directly if you need more information. Pretty much anyone you need to hire is on Thumbtack. Carpet cleaners personal trainers, photographers, piano teachers. When you need help finding pros in over a thousand different categories in 50 states, there you go. Visit Thumbtack. I did, I'm moving in the fall and I know I want to create something like a sound recording booth in my new apartment and it looks like this is going to be perfect for me to find pros to help me put that all together. So no matter your project, you can find the help you need on Thumbtack. Thumbtack makes it easy to find pros for pretty much anything you need done. Just download the app or try it now at Thumbtack.com. That's Thumbtack.com. And now, here is our producer, JC Cassis. Hey guys, it's JC, resident woman at risk. Uh, wait, that sounded wrong. Whatever. I'm not at risk in real life. I'm fine. Okay, anyway, let's talk about clothes. <laughs> so today's show is brought to you by Mod Cloth, where fresh floral patterns and daring designs flourish. It provides an exciting and engaging online shopping experience for everyone in search of vintage women's fashion with fabulous flair. Democratizing women's clothing, one cute outfit at a time. Whip up your wardrobe with everything from quirky prints to classic silhouettes. And don't worry, Mod Cloth's exclusive line of apparel comes in a full size range from extra extra small to 4x because they believe that fashion is for every body size and shape snag all your summer essentials with this exclusive deal you can shop now at modcloth.com that's m-o-d-c-l-o-t-h.com and enter promo code risk at the checkout to get 30% off your order of $100 or more that's modcloth.com promo code r-i-s-k for 30% off your order of $100 or more make every day extraordinary at modcloth Okay, all right then. Listen, uh, there's just a couple things I want to say before we get to our next story. First, there was a Risk fan named Dana Pickard who uh, wrote in and said she wanted to give me a free flotation tank float in Portland when I came to visit town. And oh my gosh, thank you so much. That was so relaxing. That was a wonderful treat right in the middle of my trip. And I want to wish a happy birthday to a fan of ours. That's Leah, who is on Twitter at Evolots. So happy birthday to Leah or Leah <laughs> at Evolots or Evolots. 
We may never know. Our final story today comes to us from Craig Mangum. My goodness, Craig wrote in. He was a fan of the show. And man, did he do a wonderful job telling this story at the Risk Live show at the Bell House. Now, this is a weird night at the Bell House because they closed the theater and we had to do the show out in the bar. But Craig did a wonderful job despite the conditions and all. You can find him on Twitter at Craig N. Mangum. Here he is now with a story we call, I Believe... So I grew up in an Orthodox Mormon family. Uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those. <laughs> and uh, as an Orthodox Mormon, at some point during your teenage years, you are expected to receive a special blessing. It is called your patriarchal blessing. And it is viewed and believed to be a revelation from God directly to you for the rest of your life, telling you what you can expect, what path you may follow as you are uh, following the teachings of Mormonism. So it's like the most intense horoscope you could ever get. And receiving it is very similar to the experience of when Neo meets the Oracle. Uh, Someone else holds your fate in their hands temporarily, and you are completely at their mercy as to what will happen to you. When I received my blessing at 16, I was told some very specific things that normally Mormons don't share these publicly because they're so personal and sacred, but I'm making an exception tonight. I was told that I would serve a Mormon mission, that I would marry a Mormon woman in a Mormon temple, that I would experience, quote, the joy of fatherhood, and that I would be a leader in the Mormon church in my local community. And at 16, this was ideal because this is honestly what every single person in my life who I looked up to and esteemed had done with their life. This is a very typical Mormon sequence of events. But I also knew at 16 that I was gay. And I knew that that was, in a way, sending me on a collision course with my faith. So to be told that despite being gay, this future could still be mine was so calming and reassuring. And this blessing transformed then into a roadmap of what I needed to do to ensure that my future could be what I wanted it to be. And as I said, that next step was to become a missionary. So at age 19, I applied and I found myself then in Iquitos, Peru, teaching people about Mormonism. Now, thanks to the Book of Mormon musical, I assume most people are familiar with the general shtick of Mormonism, (laughs) of Mormon missionary work especially. Needless to say, and not to brag, I was a total Elder Price. Uh, I took it very seriously. I was an overperformer. I engaged with missionary work the way only the deeply closeted homosexual can. Uh, <laughs> thank you. And that is because I actually thought if I would work hard and be obedient to every rule that I was given, I didn't think God would like turn me straight. I thought that he would instead send a marvelous woman who I would love more than the men I was developing crushes on. (laughs) And to that end, I was very diligent. And my mission was going excellently, and I was really enjoying the experience when I found out I would be getting a new companion. You may know Mormon missionaries go two by two everywhere. You are actually not to be outside of eyesight or earshot of your companion. So for the duration of those two years, I was actually never alone. I was always with another person. 
My new companion's name was Elder Cardenas, and he was from Colombia. He was a very nice guy, and I was very eager to work with him. So then on our first day together, we walk up to that first door, and we do a lot of door knocking when you don't have anyone to teach. And I, you know, take my stance to give my best Mitt Romney-esque, wholesome Mormon introduction. <laughs> we knock the door, the door opens, and then I say, Hola, yo me llamo Elder Mangumi, soy un representante de Jesucristo, y quiero compartir con usted un mensaje muy importante. And then I do what we call the Mormon missionary pivot, which is when you pivot to let your companion know it's your turn. Hop in here. It creates this delightful ping pong that really sells the message. And I'm waiting for Elder Cardenas, and he says nothing. He is silent. And then he starts to stutter. He begins to shake. I can see him sweating as the person in front of us is wondering what is going on here. So I rebound and I continue, but I know we have a problem here because if Elder Cardenas cannot teach, we will not hit our goals. And if we don't hit our goals, we will not be obedient to the rules and I will not get this future that I so desperately must have. So I get mad at him and we're at dinner that night and we're eating with a family of Mormons who live nearby and the topic of his anxiety comes to the surface and the, the woman who had cooked the meal for us, the wife, the mother of the home says, elders, I know what you can do. You need to go visit la doctora. Oh, the doctor. Okay, maybe she's you know, a therapist. Maybe she can help him with a prescription. She said, yeah, La Doctora can help you with whatever is wrong with you. She can. Uh, my husband, he had migraine headaches. She cured that. I had an uncle who was an alcoholic. She cured that. And then she leans in and she gets quiet and she says, and elders, La Doctora can tell you your future. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, that's not a thing. Like, the, uh, the first two I get, but your future. And... I realize we're not talking about a doctor, we're talking about a witch doctor. I look at my companion expecting him to think this is just as ridiculous as I found it, and instead his eyes are beaming with hope. Because finally there is someone who can heal him. And he looks at me and says, Elder, can we go? And I look at him and say, absolutely not. We are missionaries here to bring people unto Jesus Christ. We baptize people. We cannot be hanging out with a witch doctor who probably chills with the devil on the weekend. This is out of the question. <laughs> and sullenly he says, okay. But guys, I could not stop thinking about La Doctora. I could not stop thinking about this promise that she could tell me my future. And it's not that I wanted a new future. It was that I wanted almost a second opinion. I wanted, <laughs> I wanted La Doctora to essentially confirm that all this work I was doing as a missionary was leading me to the desired outcome, this future. And so after a few days, I shocked my companion and myself when I said, let's go see La Doctora. And that's when we started breaking all the rules. We, <laughs> We broke a rule when we went home and took off our black name tags, our white shirts, and put jeans on. I didn't want anyone to recognize us, to think the Mormons are consulting with the devil. We then broke another rule when we got in a taxi and left our missionary area. And that is actually like a huge rule to break. If they, we were found outside of this artificially drawn boundary, we could have been sent home dishonorably like that. 
And then we break yet another rule when we enter the home of this woman that we do not know. And we enter into what is essentially a makeshift waiting room. There are lots of rocking chairs and there are you know, four old people just hanging out watching a soccer game. It's very reminiscent of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory's grandparents. <laughs> but they like don't acknowledge us and so we just sit in two other rocking chairs. And eventually from around the corner comes this old woman. She's bent at the waist and leaning heavily on a cane. She has a long sweater almost down to her knees and a long ponytail uh, down to her lower back of gray hair. She uh, sticks out her hand far away from us and says, Hola, me llamo Hermana Sanchez. Hello, my name's Hermana Sanchez. And we walk over and we shake her hand. And when I shake her hand, I realize the reason she had stopped so far away was because this woman is blind, which I thought was just the most delicious detail. (laughs) La doctora would have like a blind assistant for confidentiality, obviously, right? And so she says, who's first? And because we were there for my companion's problems, he went in first. And then I'm freaking out again because we've just broken another rule. He is away from me. I'm alone for the first time in a year. And he's in a room with a strange woman doing who knows what. After about half an hour, though, he comes back. And he's just aglow. He seems so calm. And I think, wow, maybe this works. So then it was my turn. So I follow Hermana Sanchez back, and she leads me into this small room. And in this room, it is lit by a very dim blue light. It has a metal twin bed with a thin mattress, a chair, a nightstand with a plate on top of it. And Hermana Sanchez shuts the door behind her. And she says, I'm going to explain to you what's about to happen. Several years ago, I began to have a recurring dream in which a woman appeared to me and she told me her story. She said that she was a doctor who had lived in Germany and that she had been killed in a car accident before her time was up and that she had developed an ability to heal people and alleviate their suffering. But in order to perform this skill, she needed a host to host her spirit. Then Hermana Sanchez says, I agreed to be one of La Doctora's hosts, meaning there are multiple. I agreed to be one of La Doctora's host. In exchange for this service, me and my family would be supported by the payment the patients of La Doctora give her. Did you bring a payment? We had been warned about this. So yes, we had brought payment. By the way, La Doctora's rate was 250 American dollars, which in rural Peru is a great consultation rate. And I said, yes, I brought payment. It it did change the experience a little, but it made sense on some level that this woman is giving her body. She should be compensated. (laughs) She then said, just so you know, when you are with La Doctora, I am not here. I will not remember what you say. And I say, okay. And then she says, I'm going to call La Doctora. And so I have no idea what's about to happen because I had assumed that this woman was the assistant and actually she is La Doctora, and La Doctora is coming. She begins to lean over and breathe very deeply, very deeply and very slowly, and her breath picks up faster and faster, and then her arms start to wave, and she begins to clap them at the top of each arm wave. Faster and faster and faster, and slowly in front of me, this woman who is bent at the waist, leaning on a cane, drops her cane and stands completely erect. She's almost a foot taller than she had been when she had been on the cane. Her hair falls out of its ponytail as she's moving her arms so vigorously, and she is transformed in front of me. And she hits the final clap and slowly lowers her hands. And then I notice la doctora 
is staring directly at me. This woman who had been blind minutes before is now holding my gaze in the most unsettling way. I suddenly feel naked, vulnerable. And in a voice two octaves deep and with a slight German twang, she asks, what is wanted? And I say, to know my future. She then grabs the plate and holds it in front of me, which I understand is time to pay. I set my money down. She sets it down as though it didn't happen. And she tells me to lay down on the bed. I lay down. She holds her hands about an inch away from my body. And I can feel the heat of her hands until one of her hands settles right over my face and the other hand continues to go from my face all the way down to my toes. And then as she settles around my stomach, she begins to pull her hand back and yet let out a little yelp, like, ha, as though something is burning her or hurting her. And I'm like, wait, is that the gay? Like, is that my future? Is that what you're sensing? And I have no idea, but that's like not a good sign when your future is on the line that it's causing someone physical pain. This happens for about 15 minutes until the Torah stops and she stands back from me, almost out of breath, and she says, you have a beautiful future ahead of you. I see you studying law. You will meet a beautiful woman in law school. You will be married. You will have three kids, two boys and one girl. And you will be a leader. Maybe politics, I'm not sure, but people will hear you and they will follow you. And you will be known as a good man. And in that moment, I knew every word La Doctora was saying was bullshit. (laughs) And with that thought, she began to tremble and shake as though having a seizure until she was bent again at the waist, grabbing for her cane. And in front of me stood no longer La Doctora, but Hermana Sanchez. And she looked exhausted. But she smiled. I smiled back. And I said, thank you. And I left. I gathered my companion from the waiting room. And we left quickly. We got in a taxi. And we went back. Back to the uniforms. Back to the rules. Back to the hard work. Back to the obedience. While we were in the cab, we exchanged stories, exchanged notes. Apparently, my companion's anxiety was being caused by a problem with his lungs. And for three weeks, if he came every single Saturday, La Doctora could heal him. But it, he decided it was too expensive, and he wasn't interested in pursuing further treatment. He, I told him what she had told me, and he said, do you believe it? And I said, yes, yeah, yes. But inside, I was so disappointed in what I had been told. And I was confused why I was disappointed because what La Doctora told me was what the patriarch had told me when I was 16. And I didn't know if I was disappointed because it was La Doctora who told me that or if I was disappointed because it just wasn't true. I think I wanted La Doctora to tell me the truth. I didn't want my future. I wanted the truth, the truth that I already knew. And though I had buried it, under these rules, under this obedience, under this facade of the missionary working towards this future, I knew it would never be mine. I realized my future would not be something given to me, whether it would be given by a patriarch or la doctora. It would be something I would choose, something I would create. And that was the greatest revelation of all. Thank you.
That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Anderson Pack behind me now, and we just heard from Craig Mangum. Hey, I want to give a little shout-out to uh, one of our new Patreon patrons. That is Morgan Grace is one of our $25 per month or more patrons, and we always love to give those guys a shout-out. If you want to become a patron of ours, go to patreon.com slash risk. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash risk. And there's lots of new bonus content there each week, and so there's good reason to become a member. I'm going to list for you now where Risk is appearing live next on June 17th. We are back in Los Angeles at the Bootleg Theater. We're in Los Angeles once a month at the Bootleg Theater. And the next one is June 17th. Great, great cast for that show. Mike Lawrence, David Montgomery, Amanda Seals, Ptolemy Slocum, Chris Redd. Holy shit, that's going to be an amazing show. Come on out, L.A. On June 30th, we are back at the Bell House in Brooklyn, and we will be back in the big main room there. Another wonderful cast there. On July 1st, we're in North Adams, Massachusetts. Now, July 1st, North Adams, Massachusetts, at the Mass Mocha. The theme that night is revolting, and we're still taking pitches for that show. So pitch us, folks, for the North Adams, Massachusetts Mass Mocha show on July 1st. On July 8th, we're in D.C. at the Black Cat. It'll be great to be back at the legendary Black Cat on July 8th in D.C. The theme is one of a kind. We're still taking pitches. On July 15th, we're in Philly at World Cafe Live. The theme that night is Revelation. Still taking pitches there. July 15th in Philly at the World Cafe Live. September 9th, we are in Salt Lake City, Utah at the Urban Lounge. The theme on September 9th in Salt Lake City is Unexpected. And we're still taking pitches for that one as well. Now, for all these shows where I say we're still taking pitches, how do you do that? You go to the submissions page at risk-show.com slash submissions. There's a video there of me telling you how to pitch us. You can write me directly if you want more specific tips on how to pitch us more effectively. I'm at kevin at risk-show.com. You can see on the submissions page what the upcoming themes of shows are, but remember, we're not very strict about people sticking to themes. And we're always welcoming pitches from people all over the world for any sorts of stories you might have. Funny stories are always welcome. Your most embarrassing or mortifying or I couldn't believe this was actually happening sort of moment. Just think back to a time that, you know, made you laugh and laugh and laugh, still makes you laugh to think back on it and pitch us at wristshowcom slash submissions. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk.
I am a little fish out of water I am sure that I won't live very long Cause when you are a fish out of water You're